Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The, the root of the word genius is the Latin geno genere, uh, which means to generate or to, to father or to beget. Uh, it's, it's a word that shows up in words like genes, right? Um, this is historian. Darren McMahon. And it turns out that there's a kind of link there uh, because in, in, in Latin, genius or genius um, was conceived as a kind of guardian spirit uh, that was born with you uh, at creation and watched over you uh, throughout your life. It's the, it's the root of, in many ways, our, our modern or a more modern idea of a kind of guardian spirit, guardian angel. As McMahon explained, genius originally referred to the god of your birth, some sort of attending spirit among many, among billions, that decided it was time to extract your essence from the ether and then bring you into the realm of mortals. Genius comes from the Latin verb gino or genere, gino, genere, however you'd like to pronounce that, which means bring into existence. It's the root of generate, and genes, and genitals, and so on. The Roman playwright Plautus once wrote of regret. He regretted how, when he realized he was dying in his old age as a poor man, that he couldn't go on any more adventures or experience anything new. And he said he had cheated himself, his animus, and his genius. Now, animus means soul, so he was saying he had fallen short of his self, his soul, and the spirit, who brought him into the world from across the veil, the space between mortals and those who are more than, the place where gods and spirits attend to the matters of the divine. In the description for this episode, right there on your podcast player, right there on your phone, on your computer, whatever you're using to listen to this, you will find a link to hear the first episode of Exploring Genius for free. And that link will get you two weeks of Himalaya audio for free. So what is Exploring Genius? It's a six-part, seven-hour audio documentary that I made for Himalaya audio. I flew all over the country. I talked to dozens and dozens of experts. I spent months on this and I really really loved it. It explores the history and science of intelligence, IQ, and remarkable talent through interviews with dozens of intelligence experts and actual geniuses. And by the end of it, I'm really wrestling with the complexity of genius as a cultural construct, the dark history of intelligence testing, but also it reaches this really interesting conclusion at the end. It was really surprising. I didn't expect to get this glorious epiphany by the end, that allows you and me and everyone to unlock the positive potential of intelligence research within ourselves and others and institutions and anything else you want to change in this world. So Exploring Genius is available now exclusively on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning is an audio learning platform that provides an extensive library of courses straight to your ears from the world's greatest minds, including people like Tim Ferriss and Seth Godin and Malcolm Gladwell and Maya Angelou and so many more. That's all at Himalaya.com. Again, the link to get the first episode 
of Exploring Genius for free and two weeks of Himalaya is in the description of the show on your podcast player and at youarenotsosmart.com. So if you're still with me after all of that, this episode, after the opening music, will be the beginning, the first third of the first episode of Exploring Genius. I'm just going to play it. I loved making this documentary, and I really hope you enjoy it. So here it is. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 214. Himalaya. My name is David McRaney, and this is a series, this is the first episode of a show about genius. I'm a science journalist, and I have this question that I've wondered for a long time. What does that word mean exactly? Genius. Okay, what do you want, what do, you want to do this out? Watch from it's broken by brands, it's a dance. Um, what do you, what do you want to do that at? Um, downstairs. Okay, I thought that's what I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> I'm coming, down here. No, I'm coming, I'm coming. That's Juliette Leong, and she's asking me to go down into her playroom, her immense laboratory of experiments and interests, to hear her. Okay, hold on, play some violin. All right. What's that? It records the sound. Oh. After arriving and meeting her very nice and extremely hospitable parents, Willa and Jonathan, I spent the entire day with Juliet, playing with her toys. What did you say this was? This is magnets. Magnets? Okay, cool, cool, cool. You can make a circle with these. Playing with her pet chicken, Goldie. You had some chickens? Yeah, I had 12. Oh my god, there's your chicken. Does the chicken have a name? Yeah, Goldie. Oh, that's a pretty good chicken. Hey. Hey, Goldie. She eats bugs. Where are you going, Goldie? You mean Goldie? Goldie. Goldie. Goldie, got it. She's really silly. You're a silly chicken, Goldie. Cheering her on while she jumped on her indoor trampoline. I jump on the tra- trampoline a lot, every day. Every day? Yes. That's pretty cool. I wish I had an indoor trampoline. Looking at her absolutely incredible paintings. Uh, who made these paintings? I did. You made these paintings? Yeah, I painted it. Wow. Seriously, her paintings are unbelievable and they're all over the house. Every corner, every wall, on the floor, on the mantel, lightning strikes and frozen ponds and musical instruments. And we eventually made our way down into her playroom, which again is incredible. Down here! 
No, I'm coming, I'm coming. It's like a mad scientist laboratory for a very little girl where she showed me a robot vehicle she had created that you could remote control, which looked like it was made out of wood and spare electronic parts that made no sense to me. I love it. And this is the control. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are no batteries inside. Yeah. She also gave me a really cool smushy flower sticker. Still on my phone. Oh, that's so cool. Give me a flower sticker. Where are you going to put it? Sticker right there. Thank you. (laughs) Funny. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But it was down here that we really connected because she loves dinosaurs, and mm, so do I. I got toy dinosaurs. Oh, let's see a toy dinosaur. What's this? This is the Brachiosaurus. Mm Mm-hmm. I also got a baby Brachiosaurus. Oh, this is my baby Brachiosaurus. Oh, it's a teeny, teeny, teeny. I know. <laughs> and this is my baby, another baby. What's your favorite dinosaur? My favorite dinosaur is the T-Rex. I see, I hear you. Listen. I like Stegosaurus myself. That's my favorite dinosaur. Listen, you know about dinosaurs too? I know a little bit. I know almost all of the species. Oh yeah? Which, uh, what do you think of Stegosaurus? A Stegosaurus has 23 spikes, 25 spikes, mm-hmm. and it has that... I wanted to meet Juliet because a few months ago, she was formally tested by a team of psychologists who measured her IQ. And at four years old, they scored her at 155. <laughs> and, then, and then, also, the Stegosaurus has a, a side spike. 155. And they say it could be perhaps higher. She scored higher on some measures within the IQ test. Either way, it puts her in the 99.9 percentile of IQs. In fact, by some measures, that's the ceiling. Above 155, it's hard to determine exactly what a person's IQ really is. But I wanted to meet Juliet not solely because she has one of the highest IQs ever recorded, especially now as a five-year-old. She just had her birthday. But because she is a genius, which I would later learn isn't necessarily something an IQ test can measure, but it is apparent just after a few minutes bouncing around Juliet's world, she is a genius. And a five-year-old. Ah, my stepdad! <laughs> but also, she's a genius. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Juliet would not be the only genius I would meet. Later, I would spend time with people whose IQs were all above 150, some even in the high 180s. And one, who you will meet at the end of our journey together, has the highest IQ ever recorded. And his IQ has been recorded several times. So this music, that's Tchaikovsky. 
He unfortunately was unavailable for interview, but I did get to spend time with people like flaming axe juggler and banjo instructor Bob Bledsoe. That's him, juggling flaming axes in his driveway. Yeah! (laughs) He did that in flip-flops, by the way. It was terrifying. I also met with stand-up comedian Jessica and Sarah. She runs the website prettygay.net, and she does LGBT stand-up comedy. And her IQ is way up there. I moved to L.A. 13 years ago, and I love L.A., but L.A. can be very, very hard on a woman's body image. Am I right? Well, it is. Yeah. Um, I'm basically, I'm always on a diet, and I'm, I know that I'm at goal weight when I appear to have been recently hospitalized. <laughs> so people come up to me, and they'll be like, have you been sick? And I'm like, no, but thank you. Jessica's also getting her PhD right now in psychology. I also spent the day with legendary music producer and the man upon whom they based Austin Powers, Peter Asher. Something I could not help but notice looking through your entire history is, and just just when we first walked in the door, you said you were friends with Rob Williams and Steve Martin. You've been Mm -hmm. in the midst of people like um, Courtney Love. There's a... Hans Zimmer doing his thing right across the way. Mm-hmm. You're just in the midst of nothing but what people would refer to as genius. I suppose um, that's true. It's, it's, it's a stroke of good fortune, yeah, I suppose. It's, it's both. Has it changed your perspective in any way about when you just walk through the world itself and have to hang out with normals? No, not that I, I don't consciously make that distinction. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, our interview was interrupted a few times by Hans Zimmer recording the soundtrack for Dune, which is happening right across from Asher's office because Asher produced several of his albums. And there's so many others. There's linguist, lawyer, and author, Sarah Condor. My parents wanted to know when I was growing up, they kind of thought I had a high IQ. So they had me tested when I was very small. She shared her life story with me. And if it wasn't coming out of her mouth, I don't think you would believe it. When I was uh, 14, I was drafted on the Olympic team swimming and I uh, just didn't like the country I didn't like the people and I didn't like communism I just tried to run away I was 16 and um, I got caught on the border I was uh, uh, imprisoned by the KGB I was cross interrogated stripped naked you know it was quite a shock I was only 17 years old and and so then I escaped. I got a work permit. I worked in England on a farm, speaking berries on a farm. And I traveled around England, around Europe. I hitchhiked for two years around Europe. I enrolled at three universities and uh, it was kind of boring for me. I didn't want to sit at the lectures. I always came only for the exams. Many of these geniuses, these people with IQs that are just off the charts, they led lives up to the point that I met them Like Sarah Condors, you just can't believe all the things that they've gotten into, become fascinated with, become obsessed with, dived to the bottom of, and then explored until they were bored and moved on to something else. And they often have these life stories where the thing that made them special wasn't something they discovered quickly. They 
could learn things quickly. They could make sense of things quickly. But as children, well, here's one of my favorite examples, Lee Joyner. If you need an alien or a monster or you need someone to have some sort of injury applied to their face and you don't want to go with CGI, Lee Joyner is the one you go to. He's one of the best practical special effects artists in the world. He's an incredible artist, has his own studio. But as he told me... I was a uh, troublesome child. Um, <laughs> had a lot of problems in school. Uh, you know, had a lot of uh, social issues with other kids. I was... I, I, I think I kind of have a little bit of oppos oppositional defiance disorder because I wouldn't do my homework. I wouldn't listen to my teachers. I would think, you know, that having to memorize things wasn't true learning. Mm. I needed to understand it and I needed to be able to discuss it and doing things by rote, you know, like memorizing dates. So I would refuse a lot of things. I mean, I, you know, was in the honors um, system and, and, you know, made pretty good grades uh, and then got in the AP program and then got a scholarship and so on. But most of my friends I couldn't relate to. Um, I would be into things that they weren't interested in. And um, so I ended up reading a lot. These are all themes that we will return to again and again. Among many others, you will meet from Shakespearean actors to musical savants, even to experts who research this sort of thing. And I spent time with all these incredible individuals in an attempt to answer a question that I've been pondering for years. What does that word genius really mean because as you will hear from experts in intelligence iq creativity giftedness and even from the people at mensa the organization for people whose iqs are above 130 of which juliet is one of the youngest members there's no clear definition of that word genius in fact here's the historian darren mcmahon who literally wrote the book on genius titled Divine Fury, in which he traced the entire history of that word and the idea behind it, going all the way back to the Romans. I mean, the truth is, I don't believe in genius. Uh, genius to me is not something that's in the fabric of the universe. Genius is simply a label that we use uh, and we put on people of exceptional uh, talent, creativity, ability, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I'm interested in how people apply it. How do we apply it? Well, genius, according to McMahon, is a placeholder term, a word we all know and use and feel like we understand, but it doesn't cleanly map onto anything that is easily defined. When we do use it, even as scientists or historians or journalists, it's always an attempt to articulate the ineffable, the feeling we get when a five-year-old plays the violin or when a wild-haired physicist explains space-time as best he can. Tell us from the special theory of relativity that mass and energy are both are but different manifestations of the same thing. This question, what does that word, genius, really mean, slipped into my mind and would not leave after I read about one of the most famous studies in all of psychology, Terman's termite study. And that is where we're going to begin this whole adventure. very small amount of mass may be converted into a very large amount of energy. In 1921, Dr. Lewis 
M. Terman was a psychologist at Stanford University, and following in the footsteps of Galton and Binet and other researchers who were, in a word, problematic in ways that you will learn about later, he helped develop the predecessor of the modern IQ test. Now, back then, the purpose of the test was to determine who was not a genius. More specifically, it was a sorting mechanism to figure out who was fit for public schooling or who wasn't. It's complicated. We'll get into it. But the thing that I want you to know right now, this bird's eye view of this, is that Terman thought, what if instead of looking at people who perform below average, science could use the test to study people who scored above average? There was this mad pursuit at the time to try to find genius to quantify it. So with several assistants, he searched the records of the public schools in California for children with IQs above 135. He set aside about 1,500 students. He called them his termites, get it, termins, termites, and then followed their lives for the rest of his. And they were all pretty successful. They got good jobs, stuff like that, but none achieved anything of note. However, Two of the boys who didn't have genius IQs and were excluded because of it went on to win separately, not working together, decades apart, the Nobel Prize in physics. Here's Darren McMahon again. <laughs> so Lewis Turman um, has this uh, you know, weaponized version of the IQ exam, and he figures, well, let's put this to work. Uh, and he uh, he does just that by um, by administering uh, the, the the test to large numbers of of, of school children in the, the kind of greater San Francisco area, um, and people who come through that study are known as you as you say as termites, um, and. He uh, has a kind of threshold, a minimum IQ that he's looking for, uh, and he's trying to identify people of superior intelligence, and uh, and that's what he does. Um, and you know, it's fine and and well as it goes. But um, as you alluded to before, in that study, he famously uh, misses out uh, on uh, two people, uh, uh, William Shockley and uh, Lou Alvarez, who who go on to win the Nobel Prize uh, later. And so they didn't meet his uh, threshold for uh, minimum intelligence to to be classified as as a genius, but they they win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> well, what does that say to you when you hear that story? What do you ha- what do you think about it? Well, uh, you know, I mean, one thing to say is that um, uh, creative capacity uh, and raw intelligence aren't necessarily the same things. Um, you know, when I talk about this, I just look, if you're going to end up being classified as a genius, and genius is, of course, just a label that we, uh, we uh, apply to people, and it can mean uh, all kinds of different things. It's not as if genius is a kind of, you know, part of the inherent fab- fabric of the universe, and we just discover it. There are people who are good at things, uh, and we apply this label to them. And usually when people are good at things, and they're good at things that involve uh, thought and creation, um, they're not stupid. <laughs> um, but, uh, but intelligence isn't the only thing going on. And so, this began the controversy that lasts to this day. What is the interplay of nature and nurture on genius? Does a high IQ make you a genius? And if not, what does? What about creativity? 
What about that feeling you get when you're in the presence of someone who is extraordinary? What is an IQ test even measuring? What is intelligence? What is genius? And so begins our series. Join me as together we explore genius. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people. I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns and I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before and this helped. Now a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time and the question is time for what? If our time was unlimited how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a therapist that is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S. So you want to make better decisions and you have a business. You have a business and you want to make better decisions in that business. You need some sort of key performance indicators, a system for measuring what you're up to, what you're doing, measurable values that demonstrate how effectively your company is achieving your key business objectives. That's a KPI. And I have a recommendation for you. It's called NetSuite. You should be using NetSuite. Here's here's why. So your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Every business that's doing well, even if it's just starting to kind of do well, it'll start to form some fissures here and there. Things you used to do in a day will start taking a week, and you'll have all sorts of 
manual processes that just there's too many. You can't get to everything. And you don't have one source of truth to make sense of it all, to make those better decisions. If that's you, you should know about three numbers. These are three numbers you should know. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. That's a big number. 37,000. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. Streaming accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. 25? 25 years? 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks. And drive down costs. And one. Because your business is one of a kind. You don't want some sort of operation or app that's just made for whoever comes along. No, you get a customized solution for creating those KPIs that you need. One efficient system with one source of truth made for one business, your business. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. When you have everything you need in one place, all these biases all these fallacies that I talk about on this program, it's an incredible way to apply everything you learn about making better decisions by having one source from which to pull your evidence, your information. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance for nothing, absolutely free. You just go to netsuite.com slash smart. You get it for free. That's netsuite.com slash not so smart to get your own KPI checklist. One more time, netsuite.com slash not so smart. And now we return to our program. My name is David McRaney. This is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. And in this episode, I'm playing some clips from Exploring Genius, my new audio documentary over at Himalaya.com. Again, in the description of this show, in your podcast player, you'll find a link to hear the first episode of the series and to get two episodes of Himalaya for free. And you can also find that at youarenotsosmart.com. Before I roll the credits, here's Another clip from Exploring Genius, where I traveled to Texas. I eventually go to Mensa headquarters and spend time there. It's also where I met Aaron Adair, an actor with a very high IQ. He was a kid. He was even in the running for the role of Elliot in E.T. And after 14 years as a theater professor at Oklahoma State University, Aaron is now a professor at Texas A&M, but he's been acting his whole life. And while in Texas, he invited me to a performance of Camelot in Richardson, which he was in. Here he is practicing a sword fight right before the show. I met up with Aaron not far from Mensa headquarters, which is in Hearst, Texas. Mensa is the largest and oldest high IQ society in the world. There's another organization called Triple Nine. That's for people with IQs above 150. 
which Aaron could be a member of, but for Mensa, you have to have an IQ of 132 to get in. And Aaron prefers Mensa. He's very active in it and heads up the North Texas Mensa group, which includes hundreds and hundreds of people. But the board is pretty small. They meet up at various restaurants and take over a back room where they meet to discuss official business, future meetings, stuff like that. After the play, Aaron took off his armor, put on some street clothes, and together we went to one of their meetings at the back of a French restaurant in Dallas. And I've told you about them. Oh yeah, I, I have not heard, he will not stop talking about it. And I sat in as they went over their website, their next big gathering, some of the projects that members were working on. And then when they finished up, I took this as an opportunity to speak to people who only have IQs above 132 and ask them a few questions about this series, about Mensa, about genius. Representative all feels good. I, uh, I think so you should, you're looking for fuel to just diss Mensa. And... No, no, no. Actually, actually, I, never, I never even like uh, intended to be talking to Mensa in any way, but it just it ended up being absolutely necessary for this project. Uh, and tomorrow I'm going to Mensa headquarters to talk to the head of Mensa and to their head of psychometrics. So that's and this can be a whole day thing there. So that's going to be really nice. But the 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 idea behind this project was um, I just wanted to, to define. So I told them all about what I was doing, and then I asked them as a group, as a roundtable discussion, their definitions of genius. Well, in Mensa, they define it as who does well on a test or who has done well on some set of tests. I, I did, obviously did well on a test at some point in time that got me into Mensa, but I define genius as a lot more than that. It can be artistic genius, mm -hmm. it can be emotional IQ genius, mm -hmm. because I feel that even though we may have a lot of people that did well on the test in Mensa, they may not know how to interface with people effectively as far as some of the things that they do. I mean, there's so much more to genius than just, I know the right pronoun, I know how to do this math equation. You know, I know how to do all that, but there's hmm. more than that, yeah. I feel. I think the, the common understanding of genius is something more than we are. Uh, I don't think anybody in this room considers themselves to be a genius. Um, that, that's a good, quick, cover-all word, yeah. but it, I think to most people it means something different than, than what we represent. Um, I've been a member of Mensa for nearly 50 years, and wow. I, don't want, I don't want anybody to think I'm dissing the organization, but... Uh, being honest, uh, Mensa has been referred to as a society of underachievers. Uh, many of us have not really performed to the level that one would expect from our ability as, as measured by a test. Right. And nobody really knows what those tests measure. Right. Um, we're good at problem solving, basically. Um, and, and that may or may not be useful in, in our chosen careers. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, does anybody else have anything? I have, I have a, one follow-up question, yeah, then I'll get I, out of here. I do. I, I don't really have a definition of genius, but I read something once that I really like. 
uh, so I, I, I don't take credit for it. It's someone who is really good at concept transfer. You see yeah, something like in this area over here and say, oh, that will apply in this area over here that maybe nobody ever thought of before. Mm -hmm. That's a good definition. I like, I like, I like yes. uh, Mensa is, are underachievers and, uh, <laughs> and concept transfer. I think um, exceeding societal norms is how I would put it. This is good too. Um, on paper, like on paper. In, in practicality. I guess, I guess my take on, on some of that is, is it comes to a motivation. Uh, some people are, are very motivated musically. They're going to know and understand music. This Some is good. people are this uh, is the motivated, angle, by the way, of, 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 motivated yeah. at learning problems. Where did that motivation come from? Maybe in the environment. I, I suspect it's more environment than genes, but, you know, I, and, and it doesn't have to show up on this test because, you know, I, I play basketball with people that seem very motivated at picking their game up. What do you think is this particular organization of which you're all on the board, what's your mission? By its constitution, Mensa has no purpose. <laughs> so, what, what's, so what's bringing y'all back? Social organization. But you, 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 you specifically, these people that are in, in this space with me, what, what is bringing all of you here all, uh, over and over again? We all enjoy each other's company. Uh, one one uh, definition of a Mensa that I've heard is uh, someone who understands your jokes. <laughs> well, I found, even though I was valedictorian in my high school class, I went to college and I realized how stupid I was. Yeah. So I think that's a Mensa. You realize how much more there is to learn yeah. when, when everybody else considers you smart already. That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. For links to everything that we talked about in this episode, which is just exploring genius, go to youarenotsosmart.com. For all the past episodes, go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Omni, Spotify, or youarenotsosmart.com. Follow me on Twitter at David McCraney. Follow the show at NotSmartBlog. We're also on Facebook slash smart. If you'd like to support this show, this one-person operation, help make it better, help pay for things like transcription and other features, go to patreon.com slash youarenotsosmart. Pitching in at any amount gets you the show ad-free. The higher amounts will get you posters, t-shirts, signed books, and other stuff. That stuff is going out next month. Big shipment to everybody who's contributed in recent weeks. The episode about the um, nature of vaccine hesitancy, a lot of new people jumped on. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. Thank you very much. Sending your stuff soon. The opening music is Clash by Caravan Palace. This music is by Banjo Apocalypse. Tell everyone you know about this show. That's the best way to support it. 
just tell somebody, hey, I got something out of this. Here's the show. Go to it. Check it out. And you can check back in two weeks for a fresh new episode. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 